You're quite hostile. I got a right to be hostile, man. My people been persecuted. All right, so uh, we're here with uh, another Here You Are Wasa podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dino, and I'm here with my buddy, Eric. Yo, yo. There you go. And we uh, we asked our friend Tom Jordan from the band uh, 20 Watt Tombstone uh, to join us today because he's actually home in the middle of tours, which is unusual. So, so Tom, <laughs> say hi to everybody. Hi, thanks for having me. Cool. So... Um, we've had you on the podcast before, sort of talking about, you know, what you do and, and, and all of that sort of stuff, but I thought it'd be more fun to just sort of talk about, uh, how the hell, you, how do you make money? You know, cause <laughs> Jesus, you know, you, you, you play this, you know, this insane music, you've got a, a nuts drummer, you've got a van that, you know, could pull a house, you know, and so how the hell, you know. How do you make money out there? So I, I thought uh, I thought we'd sort of talk about the tools of the trade for you, if you will. Okay. So I'll say this: I wanted to start with uh, so you know, ten, fifteen years ago when you were when you were sitting next to Michael Murphy uh, in a bar in Stevens Point for five nights a week or whatever it was. Uh, is this what you thought it was going to be? No. <laughs> I thought I'd be rich by now. Oh. <laughs> no. Um, no, I mean, you know, I guess I've always kind of had more realistic ideas of, you know, of this kind of thing than, than a lot of people have. I, I've i never really assumed that, you know, we would be playing, you know, stages like Metallica size or anything like that. I've always kind of set realistic goals for myself, so... Um, I didn't think I would be here, but, uh, I guess I've always kind of tried to challenge myself a little bit to make my situation better. And I feel like I've been able to do that at least a little bit since then. Good. So, so you and I met when we both had, uh, we were both at the Wasa Daily Herald and, uh, yep. and for a while there you had a bald head and, uh, so that was fun. Yep. And uh, and you all you were also rocking an SG guitar, and you handed me mm-hmm. and you handed me an absolutely absurd demo that sounded like industrial music. <laughs> so, so how how did the how did you sense or, or where did you pick up this this change that you made? Um, well, back then I was just making whatever I could with whatever I could. You know, and I didn't have a drummer, so I had to use a drum machine, and I didn't have good gear, so I had to, you know, use what I had and run it all through a computer, and somehow it uh, it ended up sounding very mechanical, which, you know, it kind of was. But um, I guess I, uh, you know, a change in surroundings, a change in people, you know, change in influences, um all kind of played a part in, you know, making it sound different. Excuse me. But uh, I guess, you know, as as my musical tastes evolved, the music kind of did with it. Um, 
you know, we all kind of start out when we're young, you know, metalheads, punkers, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, certain kind of music speaks to us because of the age we are. And as we, as we progress, you know, age wise, you know, different things continue to speak to us and, you know, influence us and that sort of thing. So part of it's just kind of maturity. And uh, the other thing is just kind of broadening my, my musical uh, palette, I guess, as far as what I listen to, you know, I'm, I'm pretty eclectic now as far as, you know, styles I listen to. So I think that played a part in it too. So when did, when did you become aware of uh, it being the music business? Like when did you think, okay, I have to, I have to have a role in the business because it's not like, you know, yes, you, 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 paid your dues with a bunch of guys who uh you know are musicians but you know michael and howard are not really good businessmen well you know and 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 the thing is that's not necessarily a bad thing um for a lot of musicians a lot of a lot of musicians their their creative brain doesn't grasp business you know, so it's it's not necessarily bad that some of those guys do that 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 way, but they need someone in the band to kind of handle that kind of stuff for them. Um, that's why you'll see the one guy who's very musically inclined. You know, um, a lot of times is not the business guy. The really good guitar player is the really good guitar player, and the you know the drummer is the guy that you know talks business. You know, is the 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 band mom, so to speak. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess when, when did I realize it? That's a good question. I would say I started to realize it, um, when I was in my old band, Mean Tooth Grin, um, we released our first record and a lot of the work was being done on the distribution end and business side by the label, but the label was also kind of explaining the process to us like this is what we have to do this is what you're paying for you know this is the reason that you're not making any money on this record right now but you will once we make back some of the money we've spent so i think it was good that they kind of broke down the system for us instead of just going we're taking all your money and that's the way it is you know it was it was cool that they broke it all down and said well you know, this is why we're doing this. This is why we're doing that. You know, this is this, this is that. And I kind of realized then that there was a lot more to it than I thought there was. Um, but then when we started this band and I actually started doing everything, you know, myself, I realized that, you know, there was even more to it than what they had told me and that it's about a million times worse as far as uh, <laughs> stuff to do. So doing it yourself is definitely a lot of hard work and investing money. But um, Mitch actually was talking to somebody not too long ago and they were talking about, you know, it being a business or whatever. And he asked him a really good question. He was like, well, what do you think the difference is between like what you do and what a cover band does? And Mitch's answer was like immediate. He's like, cover bands don't have to invest thousands of dollars a year in their band. They can just show up, they can play. He's like, we have to invest thousands of dollars a year in merch, in tour van, in, you know, 
and distribution and, you know, advertising and all kinds of stuff like that. So I thought that was a really good answer. And I, I think that kind of speaks for itself. There's, you know, having your own product and needing to get your own product out there, you have to invest in it, you know? So I would say, you know, for me, the two points where I realized it the most were back then when we got signed with the old band. And then when I started doing more of it with this band is probably when I kind of came to the realization that I didn't know what I was doing and I needed to learn more. So, um, the, so how do you make money on the road? Do you, so it's, it's three sort of things, right? Um, you know, record sales, which I don't know if they exist anymore. Uh, record sales, merch, or, you know, sort of getting paid by the venue. So how does, how does 20 want make most of its money? Uh, merch would be the biggest one. Um, merch is, is huge for us. And, uh, you know, we, we do get paid for what we do. We don't play free shows. Um, but, uh, the, the unfortunate nature of the business is that clubs don't have a lot of money and, you know, they, they have a way of doing things. A lot of places do door deals, a lot of places, you know, do till percentages and that sort of thing. So they can afford to stay in business and not take risks, which makes sense. You know, it's understandable. So what it does is it forces the band to um, market their stuff and push their product so that when they show up to a show, you know, they're actually making some money off the door or the till percentage and that sort of thing. So um, it, it forces you to do things like make Facebook events and meet people and shake hands and, um, you know, network with other bands and that sort of thing. And, you know, just every, everything you do is kind of to get people to the shows, to get them to buy, buy drinks and pay covers and buy merch and that sort of thing. But, um, but yeah, merch is, is probably the biggest thing we, we invest really heavily in merch. Um, just because our attitude is if we, if we have more for sale at a show, there's more likelihood that people will buy, you know, more stuff or somebody that might buy one shirt might buy two shirts cause they're two different shirts, you know? Um, so we try to try to keep the, the merch thing being, interesting for people and keep the products new so that when we visit new markets and old markets too, we can continue to sell even to people that we've already sold to by having new stuff to sell to them. So I would say the biggest thing for us, number one at the top of the list is merch. Um, online sales are really cool. Um, we do a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, but the, the big one is definitely merch. And then I would say, like the money you actually make from shows is probably a close second. And then, uh, online merchandise stuff is definitely third. Yeah. The business side of it is funny. I mean, having run a design business of my own, the one thing I wished that they would have taught more of in school was the business side of it. Mm-hmm. Cause you really don't know about that until you go in. I mean, you, you have the skill or you practice the hell out of your music, but then, you know, to go out and be successful on the business side of it is 
not always easy. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think, um, I think now people are starting to realize that, you know, business education is useful in a lot more applications than just, you know, what everybody thought it was, you know, you know, if, uh, if you're a cook in a kitchen or you work for a restaurant or whatever, there's things you can learn about, you know, business and marketing and, uh, how to reach the people you want to reach. That's really the most important thing is learning what your group is and then learning how to communicate with them and keep them interested in, you know, what you're creating, whether it's music or food or art or whatever, you know, you want to build that audience and then speak to that audience and keep, you know, keep them interested. So there's a lot of things now. And thankfully the, the internet now has given um, people the ability to kind of research those kind of things and, and learn a little bit more about them. But uh, I definitely agree. I think, um, I think, you know, learning a craft is great, but learning how to market that craft is a whole, you know, different thing. So can you talk about that a bit from the touring aspect? How do you market on a tour versus, you know, just playing in your local area, you know, playing around central Wisconsin is a whole different business side of things, I would think, than it is touring. That's got to take a big hit out of all of the profit that you're making. Mm-hmm. Those millions, those millions that you're making on tour. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, the the big thing for me is when people find out how how much money we invest into the business. Um, they're always like, "Where do you get the money from? Where do you get the money from? How do you afford this?" And the reality is that you know we get it from the shows, we get it from the merch. Um, we just have to, you know, we have to sell a lot and make a lot of money to pour back into the business. So it's one of those things where, you know, you're always tempted when you make money to do something fun with it, you know, putting your money, investing your money back into your business. is not fun. You know, it's not, it's not that enjoyable. Um, so the tempting thing to do is to go out and spend your money on fun stuff and have a good time with your money. But really the smart thing to do is when you make that money is, put as much of it back into um, the business as you can, because what's going to happen then is you're going to eventually get to the point where you can afford to do things with your money that you couldn't before. But like with any company, when you start a company, it's really hard to get that product or business in front of new people. So you have to continually be pouring money into this machine. And it's, it's kind of like a, like a snowball. You just keep adding to it and adding to it and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, but it's such a slow process that it's very frustrating at times. And a lot of bands, um, you know, just get frustrated with it and give up because they can't, they can't sustain it. So it's, uh, it's one of those things where you have to learn little tricks to kind of, um, make it a little easier and it's never truly going to be easy, but, there's a few tricks that, uh, that, that I've learned over the years, like, um, doing pre-orders and that sort of thing. Like if you have an expensive thing you want to do for merch and you're like, Hey, we just don't have the money up front. Um, you can do pre-orders and you can do that without a website. You can do that without, you know, having anything too crazy. All you really need is a PayPal account and, um, 
some kind of social media platform to push the product that you want to push it to. Um, so like, you know, for instance, like we've done on Facebook a few times, we'll be like, Hey, you know, we're going to do pre-orders of this t-shirt with this design on it. Um, you know, we'll say PayPal accepted, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then you just push it on your social media platforms to your people and, um, you know, have pictures of what they're getting, that sort of thing, have a, have a deadline like this is when you're going to receive it, you know, we'll ship for free or whatever. And, uh, what we like to do is we like to offer incentives with pre-orders. You know, we'll do things like, you know, if you order before, you know, before now, not only are you guaranteed to get this special item, but you'll also get a limited edition poster or, um, you know, limited, limited edition artwork. Like what we did for our vinyl was uh, the first hundred people to pre-order the vinyl got a completely different album cover. Um, so they got, you know, not only did they get the fancy colored vinyl, but they got a limited cover that was, you know, was very rare and, you know, only a hundred people got. So things like that help people kind of spend money on that kind of thing. And if you've communicated with your fans and you've built the fan base, and, you know, that sort of thing, you know, selling to people who already like you is very easy. You just got to keep pushing it. And, uh, that's a good way to get some money up front. So you can go, okay, well now we have $300. We can go order these shirts and, uh, you know, then you're not actually spending money out of pocket. So we found little tricks like that, that help to kind of get the engine started a little bit. And then once you get rolling and you start making money, you can keep putting it back in and putting it back in and putting it back in until it's a little more sustainable. So I think stuff like that um, definitely helps, but it's one of those things you just got to, you know, there's, there's no substitute for elbow grease. You just, you know, you got to put in the hours and you got to work hard at it and communicate with the people you're trying to sell to and constantly be building that audience all the time. And, uh, if you do, then, you know, you should be able to sell stuff to those people there. You know, it's like, it's like a, it's like a mailing list, you know, a mailing list is, I've heard a lot of marketing guys say a mailing list is money. And anytime you have that group of people that just like what you do and they're there, they're, they're waiting for you. You just have to, learn how to approach them about selling whatever you want to sell basically so, so a lot so. of the elbow grease that you've put in though is the music you know why not why not hire a business manager to do a lot of this petty stuff so you can get back to doing what you love and that's the music you know and we we've thought about that and we've uh, we've worked with a few people who have offered that kind of thing um, and I'm sure there's people out there that are great at it. Um, my problem has always been, I kind of have the attitude that no one's ever going to care about my product as much as I will. So I always feel like no one's going to give me the effort that, you know, that I expect out of myself. So it's a little more work, but, uh, I feel like. I feel like I get more of what I'm looking for by doing it myself someday when we're making more money, obviously I'll, you know, probably explore that route a little more, but, uh, 
you know, for right now it's, it's one less person to pay on the payroll. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and I know it's getting done the best, you know, that it can right now. Sure. So I I was wondering, so you you talked about merch being a big deal and stuff like that. So I know, uh, Mm -hmm. just because I have a inside sense of this, how, how did you, or actually, who do you work with now as far as, uh, we'll just say the t-shirt sale or your t-shirt production? We have honestly, some of the best people working for us now. Um, it's like a big family. It's, it's kind of the way I've always wanted it to be instead of having these, you know, very uptight business relationships. We sort of have a big family, you know, where we're on first name basis, you know, we're doing favors for these people. They're doing favors for us. It's a very, it's a very personal relationship at this point. Our sticker guy is great. Our t-shirt guy is great. Our vinyl guy is great. I mean, we, uh, we've been really lucky to find some great people to work with. Um, our shirt guy is actually located in green Bay and, um, I met him through another band that we used to play with all the time called the Dead Modern Villains. And uh, his name is Kip Effa. His company is called Printables Inc. And this guy has been just amazing. Like, um, he comes to shows, you know, he'll sit and drink with us, buy us beers. Um, him and his wife are just great people. They offered for us to stay at their house all the time. Um, they have actually on many occasions, um, where there's like a rush on an order, they'll be like, you know, we're really busy, but you know, we'll make this work. And I'll be on a tight schedule because of a tour and be like, Hey, we need these shirts by, you know, such and such time. And he has actually done stuff like, Hey, get down here early in the morning. I'll print your order. Same day. We'll get it to you. We'll get you back out on tour with a full order. Um, stuff like that. You know, he's, he's been great. And there's been a couple of times where, you know, he's been like, you need this right away. Don't worry about paying me, pay me when you get back from tour. You know, um, he's showed up at shows with our merch, you know, like showed up, paid the cover, walked in with big boxes of merch going, here you go. You know, he's, uh, he's just a top notch guy and he's really helped us out big time. So I, for, for merch, I, I would say that in 14 years of playing, I am the happiest I've ever been with the crew of people we have working with us. It's, it's like a big family. It's, it's pretty great. That's, it sure sounds different than like, uh, the buggy whip t-shirts that you guys had. Remember those? <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. So yeah, those that, that, uh, we'll look back at that with shame. So yeah. But so, um, <laughs> so then how, so how does that work? So, let, so you're going out now for a couple of, I think you're going out for eight weeks or something like that. So, so you order a bunch of merch in advance. Do you, do you have a sense of how much you need? Like, how do you, how do you gauge that? Yeah. Well, um, the reason I have it dialed in pretty good now is because I didn't in the beginning, <laughs> the first tour we did, um, I, I went real heavy with merch. Um, I think we went with like a thousand dollars worth of merch for a month. And, uh, 
actually it was like a thousand dollars just for the t-shirts. That's what it was. Um, we ordered the t-shirts, the t-shirts were a thousand bucks and then we had printing on top of that. So it was, it was well over a thousand dollars. It was probably about 1500 bucks. That doesn't um, seem like a lot. How many t-shirts do you get for that? Um, we buy our t-shirts wholesale and they're about a buck 75. Uh, well, there you go. Yeah. So we had a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, man, you know, we got to be prepared because, you know, we don't want to run out. Well, we didn't run out. Um, we, we really didn't run out. We had everything. Um, but we also didn't have a lot of room in the van. We had four gigantic bins uh, full of T-shirts. Plus, we had our merch display case that was full, too. So over the years, I kind of fine-tuned it a little better. I got a better grasp of, like, when we do this run, this is usually what we sell. When we do this run, this is usually what we sell. So I've been able to kind of fine-tune it now because I didn't know in the beginning, and I've kind of, it's kind of been a learning experience. But, uh, yeah, what we do now pretty much is we we restock right before we go on tour. Um and depending on where we're going, how long we're going, it affects what I get, what sizes I get. Now we've we've toured so much that I, I'm starting to see, you know, like what works in what states. Like Texas, you would think everybody's real big, complete opposite. We sell the shit out of smalls in Texas. Like little hipster guys in Texas, yeah, we'll, we'll sell a ton of smalls. Um, Georgia? Three, four, five X, easy. Um, you know, places like South Carolina, North Carolina, regular, you know, larges and XLs, just like everywhere else. But, you know, we we've learned to kind of, you know, buy according to where we're going to be, so that we can save ourselves some money and not buy unnecessary stuff. Um, we bought a bunch of hoodies, for instance, one time when we were at home uh, in the fall. And they were selling great up here. And then we went to Mississippi and Texas and didn't sell a single one. <laughs> so things like that, you just start to, you know, after a while, you just start to learn, you know, what to buy, how much to buy, what sizes, that sort of thing. And I feel like now we've got a better grasp in a lot of the places that we've played over and over and over again. New spots is always kind of a learning curve. But, uh, but yeah, as far as, as far as places that we do regularly, I feel like we have a pretty good grasp on, on that sort of thing. So hmm. how do you, how do you keep track of what you sold? So like, you know, you go to the show, you, you've, you've purchased a thousand bucks worth of t-shirts for the tour or whatever it is. So how do you keep track of what's sold? So just sort of general inventory stuff, like the specifics. So how do you specifically keep track? Well, what we do is, um, we have the regular merch bin and then we have an overflow box. Um, the overflow box is everything that we can't cram in the regular merch display box that goes in every night to the shows. Um, you know, and that if it's stocked properly should have all the styles of shirts in all the sizes in order so that you don't need to bring the overflow box in the venue. So what, what our merch guy usually does, or sometimes if I have to do it, um, at the end of every show, we look at what's in the merch display box. We look at what's missing, what, you know, what we sold, whatever. And then at the end of the night, 
the overflow box, we put whatever we need in there so that for the next show, it's ready to go. Um, as the tour progresses, what the merch guy is supposed to do is um, just kind of like every three, four days, look at what's in the overflow box and see where we're at, you know, if we're low on smalls or whatever. Um, and if it gets to a point where it looks like, you know, let's say we're two weeks through the tour and we have two smalls left, you know, um, what we do then is we, you know, have some shipped from home to a spot, you know, that we can receive mail at or a venue or something like that and restock it. But basically it's just pen and paper, you know, few days in, you write down what you got. Um, we used to catalog like what we had to start with. And then after every tour, just subtract. And, uh, it, it just was a lot to manage. So now what we do is we just, we just worry about what's in the van at a time, you know, because if it's not in the van, it, it doesn't matter much to us on the road anyway. So we try to try to leave fully stocked. And then if something starts to get out, you know, halfway through or something then we have it shipped to us. And then when we get home from tour, usually we're pretty picked over and we just restock again, you know? So, it's just kind of keeping track of it, pen and paper every night and seeing, you know, when you get low and sometimes you run out of shit. That's just the nature of the beast, I guess. But most you of do the cash time and credit? I'm prepared for that. Oh, you yeah. Do cash? yeah. 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 We, uh, we don't take checks, um, but we, uh, we do cards and, and cash. Hmm. Yeah. How do you do the cards? Do you do it through like a square reader or something? Yep. We use square square has been really good. We, we talked to my bank about using their system and uh, you know, their rates were a little different. Um, they didn't have um, a chip reader or, you know, any kind of other reader for that matter that worked off your phone. So we would have had, we had to basically rent, you know, a portable card machine to take with us, which was a little more money. So we just decided to go the square route. Square has been real good, real easy to use. Um, and I have no complaints. Couldn't you catalog inventory through that? Is there any reporting on that that you could um, get rid of, yeah, get rid of you your can, pen and paper? Well, <laughs> you can, yeah, it, it automatically tracks all of your, your card sales. Right. So like if it's a card sale, it's all, it's all done through there. Um, their, their point of sale app, you know, that you download through the app store yeah. is, is pretty easy. And, uh, you know, you can actually set up, set it up like a cash register, basically like a t-shirt is this, you know, a CD is this. So you just hit a button. Um, but unfortunately if it's not done through a card, you can't track it through that app. So, Hmm. Dino, why do you have one? You told me recently that you had a square reader, card reader. What do you need that for? Sorry, Dino I'm on, Corvino. I'm, yeah, sorry, I'm on mute there, buddy. Um, <laughs> follow, follow the rules of the podcast production right here. Actually, on mute. Um, so we use we just uh, use it for um, the rental properties, and I don't use it very oh, often. Okay, you know, sure. occasionally somebody will say, "Hey, you know, this is what we need," and we're like, "All right." 
you know, show up at their house and stick, stick my phone in their face, you know. But so, <laughs> so that, so that leads to, to one of my, you know, nerdy questions. So what, what technology do you guys take on the road? Like, so you've got the, the chip reader. Like, I, I remember a couple mm-hmm. of months ago, like, your phone died. You know, your, 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 your yeah. phone crapped out. And you made a, a really sort of impassioned and hurried plea on the Internet to sort of, okay, so I, I got to go. What, you know, and I haven't been paying attention to phones. What do I got, you know, what do you guys think? And mm-hmm. you sort of laid it out there. So what is it, like, are you taking a laptop, tablets, the phone? What do you guys, what do you travel with? Hold on, let's let's circle back okay. to that. What did the impassioned plea come back and say? What did you end up buying? Oh, yeah. Um, I ended up getting an LG phone. Boo. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I actually love it. I think it's it's honestly, I would have to say, the best phone I've owned in a long time. Um, my Samsung, I had two Samsungs in a row and I had the same exact problem with both of them. They worked great for a really long time. And then when they started to get older, um, you know, the phone feature worked, but like the touch screens would all just act funky. And like, I would answer my phone and it would be on speaker without me picking speaker, that sort of thing. The screen tilt feature didn't work. It was nothing that, it was nothing that left me, you know, stranded without a phone. But, uh, you know, eventually what, what ended up happening with, with both Samsungs when they got really old was the reception just started to get so bad that, you know, I would be in big cities like Chicago and have no bars whatsoever. And, uh, that is when it started to be a problem. And I was to the point where I was like, you know, I can't call on my phone. Like I can live without a lot of the other stuff, but, um, but that became a little more vital that I do something about it. So, um, originally I was going to do a Samsung again and, uh, my phone guy actually talked me out of it and he was like, look, this new LG phone is what a lot of iPhone people are switching to. Um, it's completely different. It's not like the other Android phones. And I ended up having to get a different charger because none of my chargers worked with this phone. And at first I was like, man, this is stupid, but, um, I really like this phone. The battery life isn't as good as my other ones, but as far as speed and reliability, it's been, it's been pretty awesome. So, so I, I'm I think pretty sorry, happy with it. Sorry, Dino. No, it's okay. <laughs> Just... I, I, I know it's cool. So I think you should probably give a shout out to your phone guy. Cause he's been there for you for a long time. Yeah. Ian Reese, he's the man. He knows his shit. Yeah. So, so does is Ian still working in the phone industry, or is he just still, a, or is he just a phone nerd? Oh yeah, he works. Uh, it used to be Sprinter. I think it's called CPS now. Okay. I think they okay. changed their name. Okay. I pay my bill online now, so I don't even ever go in there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I forgot what it's actually called. Yeah. But yeah, it used to be Sprinter. It's uh, it's in that little strip mall next to the Euro Place and uh, the Mexican Grocery on uh 17 17th ave okay so so then um so talk about tell me a little bit about just sort of the the pieces of technology that's on the road for your business um well when we're out for a month i take a laptop i take a tablet and i take my phone um i you know i if i'm out for a while it just makes sense to have all three the tablet probably gets used the least 
Um, but it's nice to have, you know, if we're in a venue and I got to work on our calendar or something, I got a bigger screen I can work with, um, you know, stuff like that. Or, you know, if you got to sleep in the van, you can watch Netflix on it. That's always nice. <laughs> but, uh, the laptop I bring with in case, you know, I've had, I've had people hit me up and go, Hey, we need a poster for this show. Can you throw a poster together? And, uh, you know, or, you know, certain things that are not as maintainable on your phone or, or tablet, you know, that you need your, your computer for, um, I've had to make posters with illustrator and Photoshop on the road, you know, because I, uh, you know, I don't have that ability on my phone or tablet really to do it and actually make it halfway decent. So I've had instances like that. I've had, uh, I've had things like, you know, artwork or photos or whatever that, you know, need to be edited or this, you know, this photo in our bio sits funny, you know, and it needs to be cropped or whatever. It's just, it's just nice to have a laptop for that kind of stuff and not have to rely on my phone and, and go, Oh, well now I need to go download an app so I can crop a picture, you know, this way I've got my laptop with, so I can pretty much do anything I'll ever need to do, um, you know, with one of those three devices. All right, so just really quick, because uh, somebody might have thrown up in their mouth when you said, throw a poster together. You know, I mean, (laughs) somebody here might be a a graphic designer who, you know, slaves over that kind of thing for hours. And, you know, it's not like we're just throwing songs together, buddy. You know, come on now. Very true. So so what, but I think that, that... that can get back to, to, you know, sorry, Eric, but that can get <laughs> back right. to, uh, like you guys, you guys, by this point, not every poster requires, you know, Bezel to make a, a unique drawing, right? Sometimes some of this yeah. is st- sort of essentially stock art that you guys are working with, right? Yeah. In situations like that, in, in fact, I'll give you a, for instance, when we were, Two years ago, or yeah, two years ago, we were we were sitting in a motel room in Florida for two days, and uh, Wes from Everybody's in Chippewa Fall hit Chippewa Falls hit me up and was like, "Hey, I want you and Left Lane Cruiser to come and play New Year's Eve." I was like, "That's awesome. We'll totally do it." Um, he hit up Left Lane Cruiser. They were in, and uh, he's like, "I need a poster." Well, I'm sitting in a motel room in Florida, um, you know there's only so much I can do, but I was like, well, you know, I'll, uh, I'll throw something together. And if you like it, you can use it. If not, you know, maybe we can get a poster from their management company or something like that. Um, so I had some time to kill in a motel room. So I spent, you know, a few hours throwing something, something together, took one of their, you know, press kit pictures and put it in Photoshop and, you know, basically, did a real simple poster with basically a photo of those guys, a simple font and, you know, some, some weird stripey colors and stuff behind the photo, real basic stuff, threw it together in a couple hours and it, it looked halfway decent. You know, if I were at home, I would probably spend a lot more time on it, but you know, I'm on the road sitting in a motel room with two guys, you know, getting wasted at three o'clock in the morning <laughs> watching uh watching teen moms on on tv and being loud so 
like you know this is what i got to work with i'll do the best i can and so came up with something that worked west liked it left lane liked it and you know it wasn't anything fancy but it did the job and he went and printed it and all that sort of stuff and you know we had a poster <laughs> so all right all this is making me cringe terribly but it goes back to your point <laughs> about nobody knows your band better than you right i mean exactly. even if you were to have somebody work on that poster it might not speak to the style of your music your personalities your whatnots so even though i hate what you just said <laughs> i totally i totally get it it makes perfect sense right <laughs> all right yeah all right, so then let's let's get off of that a little bit, so we can, so the hives will go away. Um, exactly. So so on on the phone and the tablet and the computer. So you, you talked about a little bit about the tools. So what are what are some of the tools like the apps on your phone and your tablet that you use specifically to reach people? Um. Well, and I I don't really use it to reach people, but I would say the most important thing out of anything for me, the thing that I cannot live without that is on all three of my devices is a calendar. Um, you know, having, you know, having a Google calendar app, you know, on my phone and having all that stuff on every device is pretty, pretty vital. So I would say that's the first thing. Like when I get a new phone, the first thing I do is look and see, what kind of calendar app I'm working with, you know, if it, if it works the way I need it to, if it does the things I need it to. Um, and then from there, you know, things like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, are all things I use quite a bit. So I make sure that, you know, I have access to those things on all three devices too. So Dino's all um, giddy about the calendar. I'm yeah, sure. I, I have, I have many questions to ask about the calendar here. So, uh, so let me just interject something before we get too far off, because this will probably take us off onto a tangent as well. Yeah. You mentioned Facebook. So mm -hmm. this delete Facebook movement movement. How do you where do you stand on that? From, um, from a musician band standpoint, I guess. Can, can I swear on here? Of course. OK, I fucking hate Facebook. First of all, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I hate a evil, I suppose. Yeah, you know, I, I I hate what it's become. I hate um I hate a lot of the the ways that it forces you to do things. You know, I I think for you know, it does have it does have a, a big upside for bands, but just even the way that band pages work and you know, sponsored ads, you know, that sort of thing like I, it's not really tailored to bands, you know, and a lot of, you know, a lot of bands use it, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's got some features that actually limit a band's reach, you know, and, uh, for someone who doesn't have a ton of money to pour into sponsored ads, um, which is most musicians, it, uh, it becomes a hindrance in some cases. However, it is still free. Um, you know, the, the way the ads work allows people with a lower budget to be able to invest 25 bucks at a time or whatever, if they want to. Um, so that's good, but it's so oversaturated with bullshit, you know, 
that when I log in to do work stuff, it's really hard to not get caught up in all of the bullshit that is on there. You know, there's, there's, there's become so much hate and so much nastiness on there that it just makes me sick to my stomach when I see it, because I see people that I, I know and care about who have been friends for years that are fighting over the stupidest stuff. And, uh, so for me personally, I wish I could delete it and not ever have to use it again. Do you but unfortunately, uh, we do, we do. Um, a lot of our stuff ends up not doing great. Um, so most of it has never gone a full campaign. There's been a few times, but um, it's usually one of those things where we try it for about a week and see how it does. And if it takes we leave it. If it doesn't, then we usually pull it after a week and try something else. How do you um, target them? We usually try to go by musical interests like bands that people like that are like us. Um, Left Lane Cruiser is a really big one. A lot of our fan base people um, are either fans of those guys who found us or fans of us who found those guys. So I always use them as a target because that seems to work a lot. Like the, the success rate for anything I do with those guys involved is usually pretty high. They're a Wisconsin um, band, right? No, they're from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, I would say by band first, you know, um, and then, you know, the other thing I'll, I'll look at is the places we're playing the areas, the cities, that sort of thing. And I'll fine tune it that way. But, uh, but yeah, it, you know, it's, it's really hit or miss depending on when I do it and what type of campaign I'm trying to push. But, uh, you know, I saw something one recently of those with the, with the failure of Yahoo and then this Facebook thing that it could mean the resurgence of MySpace. Well, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Good old MySpace. Yeah, it was yeah. good when it was good, I guess. But yeah, it's like a ghost town now. But so, I think I think Instagram has really kind of crept up as the the popular one these days. But we'll see. They all fade after a while, I guess. So a while ago, um, just because I remember, I think you invested in sort of one of these. Uh, you worked with a consultant or a guy who was, who talked to you about social media and how to sort of get going. And, and he really sort mm -hmm. of opened your mind on Twitter, right? Oh yeah. So yeah. talk a little bit about sort of what you, or who he was, how, what you learned and how you guys use Twitter now. Um, oh boy. Um, I found him, I think he was, I think he was writing a music blog for, um, for either CD baby or disc makers or something like that. But he was, he was one of their featured writers. Um, they do like a, an email list where they send out this thing, you know, every few weeks and it's got different articles by different music guys. And, and he was one of them in it. He had this whole thing about, you know, um, you know, how, you know, he wanted to give musicians tools to do this themselves, blah, 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 blah. So I checked it out and, uh, his name is Carlos and his website is, uh, Schwilly family musicians.com. If you Google Schwilly family, you'll find him. And it, 
you know, it sounded like just some dude sitting in the basement somewhere writing blogs, but he actually was pretty informative on Twitter. And a lot of the things he said, like, as I was doing them, I could actually see results happening because what I had been doing with Twitter up to that point was what everybody else does with Twitter is treat it like Facebook. And it's actually, you know, very, very different. It's, it's so much simpler as far as, you know, the actual, you know, what it, what it's for, you know, it doesn't have a whole lot of bells and whistles. It doesn't, doesn't do a lot of things, um, other than, you know, the, the one thing that it's made for, which is, you know, to kind of direct business traffic, I guess would be the, um, the way I would put it, but how he puts it is it's, uh, you know, your product is on one side, your audience is on the other side and you've got all these different veins of, you know, of river going different directions. And with Twitter is kind of like the little bridge that you put between those people and direct where you want the product to go. What, what group of people do you want to see it? That sort of thing. So what I learned from him was how to build your Twitter audience and actually target it using hashtags and, uh, you know, location and interest and all that kind of stuff to where you are talking directly with the people you need to talk to. And we went through a period for a while where we were selling about 85% of our, uh, merch CD sales, everything, uh, was coming through Twitter. And, uh, you know, a lot of bands asked me how we did it. And basically all I did was, you know, follow his instructions, which, um, he has you get this, um, it's actually a site. It's not really an app. Um, but it's a site called Tweepy. And what it does is it allows you to target by interest and location and a lot of other stuff. And it's got a free version. It's got a paid version. Um, we had the paid version for a long time and it's definitely worth it. Um, but it allows you, you know, with the paid version to target more people, um, to fine tune it even more and, you know, really, really, really get down to like details on, you know, who you're looking at, but that kind of helped me build the Twitter, um, up to what it is now. And I think we're almost at about 7,000 followers on Twitter. And, uh, you know, when I post stuff now, we actually have reactions, you know, whereas before when we were at about a thousand, it was just random people that I was adding and friends that didn't really use their Twitter or people that followed us and didn't, you know, check their account for six months, that sort of thing. So when I learned how to actually target active people who were using their Twitter, who were tweeting all the time and, you know, that sort of thing, it, it made a difference in like the retweets I was seeing on our posts, um, you know, the activity itself like went up quite a bit. So he, uh, he definitely taught me a lot about how to, you know, target the right people through Twitter. And, uh, it's definitely come in handy. You know, it's something a lot of musicians don't take advantage of because they're intimidated by it because they look at it and they're like, well, this isn't like Facebook, you know, but the reality is it's, it's a lot more useful for marketing than Facebook is because Facebook is, you know, I guess to post pictures of your food and cats, 
(laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, you know, the Twitter's turned out to be really awesome. I try to use it on a regular basis still, but, um, but yeah, that guy, uh, Carlos at Schwilly was, uh, was very instrumental in turning me around, you know, and thinking that it is actually a very useful, you know, thing to use. So I have one last, to wrap it up, I guess, maybe the last question is talk about how you balance business and music. It seems like a lot of your day to day is more the business side of the band than it is the music side. So it's kind of curious how you balance yeah. that. Um, it really isn't balanced. <laughs> um, it's definitely um, at this point in my life, um, the actual playing of music is probably, I would say, and I'm being generous when I say this, it's probably about 25% wow. um, of yeah, what I do. Hold, hold and, on. I, I want to, I want to jump in here cause I, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to defend your music career a little bit. So let's, let's be clear about this. So all of the, the sort of great success in the, in the, in the highs that you feel sort of having, getting, got having your music career, the business stuff handled. I mean, not a lot really compares to the, the, the feeling of being on stage, right? Oh no. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's what I do all the business stuff for is to be able to get that, you know, 60 minutes a night, 90 minutes a night on stage. I mean, that's, that's what all the other stuff is for basically. Okay. So now you can go back to, to moping about how the the work (laughs) balance isn't there. Okay. Yeah. It, you know, and I, I guess I wouldn't say it's moping. It's, it's, it's like anything. If you love it enough, you'll find a way to make it work. And unfortunately the work part of what I do playing music is the fun part is not the work part at all. I mean, there's, there's, there's no, there's no work really in going up on a stage and playing music. The work is all the stuff that's around it. The work is the driving. The work is hauling gear. The work is, you know, stressing about filling a date on a Wednesday night in, you know, Nashville. That's the work part. The the fun part, the the part that makes the job all worthwhile is is the playing part. And it's it's the easiest part of what I do. You know, the music part comes really easy. It's it's uh it's something that you know, I don't really have to work at when I'm up there. It's just, you know, we've got these songs that we know that we've played a million times, you know, we can play them with our eyes closed. Um, but it's the, it's the other stuff. It's the six hour drive, you know, that turns into a 10 hour drive because you're stuck in traffic. It's, you know, the going to an ER in Nashville on a Sunday afternoon because you're, you know, you have to, and you don't know if you can finish the tour. That's the stuff that, that makes it monotonous, you know? So that stuff definitely, you know, at sometimes it's really discouraging dealing with all that because it's so hard to put all this work in for such a small amount back, but that, that small amount makes it all worthwhile. And, uh, you know, I love, I love what I do on, I I always remember a quote Scott Holt told me one time way back, like probably 12 years ago. Um, He said, 
you know, I always try to tell myself that a bad day doing this is still better than any desk job I've ever had. <laughs> and, uh, and that's, that's very true. So I try to remind myself of that too. Like if I'm having a really bad day, I stop myself, you know, like not too long ago, we were, we were in Texas, we were having a rough night and I went outside, I looked up at the sky and I just went, you know, I'm in Texas, clear sky, beautiful outside, so what if tonight wasn't the best? I still have multiple opportunities to travel, to see places I've never been to, to hang out with good people all over the country and play music and get paid for it. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just have to, you know, remind yourself how lucky you are and that things aren't quite so bad. And, uh, so I, I love what I do and I, I would put in any amount of work to be able to do it. So it's definitely worth it in the end. Yeah. So, nice. so, uh, it's, it's funny cause I'm, I'm getting a little, uh, choked. I'm, I'm actually getting choked up here, hearing you talk about it because, you know, I mean, <laughs> you, you know that, um, so we're just going to have a little personal moment here on the podcast. You know, Tom and I have been friends for about 20 years and, and I couldn't be prouder of, of who he's become both as a musician and as, as a guy. And so well, thank you. hearing, you know, hearing you talk about it like that uh, is, I mean, because you, you know, you know, I have a core belief that if you can't do it on the road, if you're not going to do it on the road, you're just, you're just a hobbyist. And I take a lot of shit mm-hmm. for that, but you know, it was, it was years and years and years ago sitting there, you know, at the pub at on a Saturday afternoon or fuck no, dude, it was you and I sitting at high noon saloon at three in the afternoon for a black keys gig, you know, watching them show up in a, in a minivan and, you know, getting to see, you know, a band just blow our minds and just sort of go, okay, this is, that's it. And now, now look at those fucking guys, you know, they sold out Mm -hmm. seven nights at Madison square garden in in an afternoon. So, so the idea that, you know, like it was, it was always something for me to, to just hope that one of the musicians that I loved so much was going to, to, you know, go out there and do it. And so I've, I've always been, and I've told you often that I couldn't be prouder of, of you, you know, and, you know, and so t- tonight on the podcast, you mentioned calendars and Scott Holt. So obviously I'm going to get emotional <laughs> about all of this now. But, uh, yeah, so, hey, I just wanted to say thank you for doing the podcast. So let's just wrap it up. So I wanted to say thank you for doing the podcast. You're going out thank on the road now. Me. Yeah, so you're going out now. Where are you going this time? Um, this is a real short run. It's going to be uh, Wednesday. We're in Fort Madison, Iowa. Um, Thursday, we are in Lincoln, Nebraska. Friday, we are in Kansas City, Missouri, and then Saturday, we are in St. Louis, Missouri for the War Goat Festival. Okay, the War Goat? War Goat? War Goat? What the fuck is a War Goat? goat? Um, Okay, so the, uh, have you heard of the Whiskey War Festival in St. Louis? No. Okay, well, there's a festival called the Whiskey War. Sure. And uh, the, the Manus Brothers actually put that on, and it's become... It's become a pretty big deal. Um, but then there's Goat Fest in Clarksdale, Mississippi now. Um, and the guy that does Goat Fest um, got with the Manus Brothers who do 
the Whiskey War Festival, and they combined their efforts and made this new festival called the War Goat. Oh, sure they did. And uh, <laughs> it's it's pretty awesome. They're thinking about doing it every year now. Um, got Left Lane Cruiser, Mark Porkchop Holden. And he's gone. He's out. We lost. We just lost him. Oh, that's he's, so he cool. Went, he's off to the war goat. Yeah, he's off to the war goat. Anyway, so just uh, talking about it was too exciting to too, hold on. Too much. <laughs> All right. So that was that was my friend Tom Jordan, our friend Tom Jordan from the band Twenty Watt Tombstone, and who is uh, on tour right this second. Apparently, right now with his LG phone. So, <laughs> yeah. So all right. All right, man. Thanks for doing the podcast, Eric. <laughs> yeah, you bet, Dino. Oh, okay, so I'll see you later. Lord! 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 Lord!